Hello, and welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond. My name's Alyssa, and this week is our October learning segment, and I am so excited to get to geek out with you guys and learn more in depth about how music affects the brain. You've probably heard people say things like, music is good medicine, or music is good for you. Is there something scientific to this old adage? Well, today I'm going to synthesize an article for you by authors Mona Lisa Chandra and Daniel J. Levitin called The Neuroscience of Music. This is an article that I recently read for one of my graduate courses, and I thought it was so fascinating and so chock full of good research that I knew I had to share it with you guys. I'm going to go ahead and just use their own words to let them introduce their article themselves. In this review, we evaluate the evidence that music improves health and well-being through the engagement of neurochemical systems for 1. Reward, motivation, and pleasure, 2. Stress and arousal, 3. Immunity, and 4. Social affiliation. There is so much good content to cover here, so let's get to it. Alrighty guys, this, like I said, is going to be a bit of a hefty article, so take breaks as you need to, but let's jump in. The article specifically reviewed scientific evidence of neurochemical changes in regards to those four domains that I mentioned in the introduction. So let's go ahead and start with domain number one, reward, motivation, and pleasure. Neuroimaging has been used to chart human network connectivity and dopamine release in the brain while listening to what the participants rated as pleasurable music. Several different studies um, in the article also used PET scans to track blood flow to various parts of the brain, including the mesocortical limbic system, which is primarily responsible for reward and reinforcement. These PET scans and the fMRI imaging also suggest increased blood flow to the nucleus accumbens. Um, Just as a side note, blood flow in the brain indicates activation or function of a particular area. So anytime you see increased blood flow, that means higher levels of activation. The author stated that listening to pleasurable music was found to be associated with NAC or the nucleus accumbens activation as well as ventral tegmental area mediated interactions between the NAC and brain structures known to regulate autonomic, emotional, and cognitive functions. Equally amazingly, along with the activation of these reward centers, significant deactivations were also indicated in areas such as the amygdala, the hippocampus, the parahippocampal gyrus, and the temporal poles. Research indicates that shutting down responses in these areas has to do with the decrease in the stress hormone cortisol. The hippocampus is responsible for the defensive behaviors in response to stress, so decreasing that response through music is a highly valuable tool. Speaking of stress, let's move on to the second domain covered in this research review. Authors Chandra and Levitin found that music listening in medical settings is often applied during non-invasive and some invasive procedures as well as post-surgery, having been found to reduce pain perception and the need for sedation and pain medication. As a quick aside here, some of my um, favorite memories from my internship, which I did in a hospital, were sessions supporting little ones during their echocardiograms. 
This is a totally non-invasive ultrasound of their hearts, but it can feel and look scary when it's dark in the room and you're with strangers, Um, and especially for kids with special needs who maybe don't understand that it's not going to be painful, but a lot of these kids have had maybe scary or painful experiences in hospitals before. So the whole experience can be a little bit traumatic. The clinic that we were working at um, had historically offered sedation for those scans, which is a common offering for echocardiograms. But due to the excess of the music therapy program supporting those appointments, they no longer even offered sedation. Pretty remarkable results, and I can attest to the efficacy of music therapy intervention during those appointments. Um, Really, really cool stuff. So back to the article. Um, One study that the authors um, highlighted in this article noted that the research on guided imagery and music intervention found that it was highly effective at reducing stress hormone levels along the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis, or the HPA. I would like to read directly from the article here, quote, The effects of passive listening to relaxing music in the absence of additional manipulations have been investigated during medical procedures, primarily surgeries. Post-operative levels of subjective cardiovascular, respiratory, and neuroendocrine markers of stress were measured. Patients listened to music that was determined by the experimenter to be soft and relaxing, um, 60 to 80 beats per minute, and described as a new age music style, either pre, para, or post-operatively. Listening passively to experimenter-selected relaxing music during the post-operative period was most effective, resulting in a significantly greater decrease in serum cortisol compared to controls following cardiac surgery and hernia repair. Now, for those of us who are not having hernia repairs done today, rest easy. The article also highlights research that might possibly apply to you right at this very moment. Two studies summarized the effect of relaxing music on daily stressors such as work and school tasks, and those researchers found that relaxing music was found to prevent rises in systolic blood pressure and heart rate post-stressor as compared to just silence. So we here at MTNB are always hoping to educate our listeners on how to use music for wellness, so this right here is one way to do that at work today. Find some relaxing music or music that you find to be pleasurable, um, particularly maybe slower music with maybe lower tones and even instrumental music. Try listening to that at work today, especially if you know you're going into a stressful meeting. Um, Before and after that meeting, make sure you take some time to do some intentional listening. If you want tips on other ways to apply music for relaxation or wellness, please reach out to us. We would love to consult with you and give you some resources to help you be well. So why and how does music modulate arousal like this? What mechanisms are happening in the brain? So the article cites one proposed mechanism is the effect that music has on the brainstem in particular. Music affects the response of the brainstem, which in turn controls your breath rate, your pulse, blood pressure, body temperature, skin conductance, and muscle tension. Your brainstem is responsible for many of the survival responses in our body. This modulation has been shown to be influenced by musical factors such as pitch, tempo, and dynamics. More stimulating music patterns increase bodily responses and activation, and relaxing music can decrease these stress patterns, even in infancy. 
The research also shows that the neurons in the brainstem fire in synchrony with rhythm. So this is why music therapy is such a powerful tool. Trained music therapists understand neural function and use music to activate or deactivate brain function, or stimulate or destimulate brain function, rather, and can use music to help modulate mood and arousal to accomplish therapeutic goals. This is why it's important to have a licensed professional applying music therapy because it can actually have adverse effects physically and emotionally when misused. This is also why music therapists are valuable and not replaceable with simply an iPod, although music can be a wellness tool on its own, like we just talked about a little bit earlier. For music therapists, being part of the client or the patient's interdisciplinary team can yield amazing results because of the clinical and evidence-based practice of our field. Now, music therapy is not a magical brain-fixing pill, but the research, I believe, speaks for itself and shows that music is an amazing tool that can be highly effective. I'd like to quote again from the article here. Noradrenergic, or norepinephrine, neurons in the brain, stem, and midbrain regulate the autonomic responses of heart rate, blood pressure, and respiration, along with cholinergic and dopaminergic neurotransmission. Brainstem activation also mediates sensory and motor function through epinephrine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. Simple musical properties such as tempo may therefore affect central neurotransmission underlying cardiovascular and respiratory control, motor function, and potentially even higher order cognitive functions such as the setting of attention filters. I just used a lot of terminology that was a little bit dense, but in a real world setting, this is something that you've probably used on purpose and experienced without even realizing it. I don't know about you, but one thing that I do a lot is use music to, say, hype up for a workout. If I'm going to um, get pumped for a lifting session, I'm going to opt for um, loud music with maybe a driving bass, higher tempo, um, something that has higher energy to it. But I'm not going to use that music to chill out at the end of a long day if I need to study. Um, I'm going to opt for something that's a little slower, more mellow, simple, probably no singing, something instrumental. If you've ever done something like that and found it to be effective, um, this is what was going on in your brain. Your brainstem and your midbrain were regulating your autonomic responses for your heart rate, your blood pressure, and your respiration using all these different hormones like epinephrine and serotonin. So these, the simple musical properties that you choose for music to quote unquote set the mood, actually your body like follows whatever you are setting, whatever that mood is that you're after. If you've used music and you found that it's worked that way, your body has actually entrained to the music based on the response in your brain. How cool is that? I think that's so cool. So the second part of this article takes a slightly less medical slant. So this is a good stopping off point for a quick break. Drink some water, stretch, and breathe, and feed your brain so that we can keep learning together. We'll be right back.
Alrighty, welcome back, friends. I hope that you are not feeling super overwhelmed. The beautiful thing about this being a podcast episode is you can always rewind and listen as many times as you need to. Or better yet, go read the article for yourself. A link to it will be in our show notes on our website and in the description, so no worries. You will know where to get all of this info firsthand. So there is a very important component to music therapy um, and music for wellness that this article covers here, and that is something called the locus of control. To quote the article here, surgery patients post-operatively exposed to music of their own choosing showed decreased cortisol levels compared to controls, and self-selected music proved more effective than experimenter-selected new age music. Thus, self-selected music may buffer endocrine stress responses during recovery. Now, if you remember earlier in the article, I mentioned that post-operative music listening that was experimenter-selected showed um, a significant decrease in cortisol levels in patients who had just undergone cardiovascular surgery and hernia repair. But beyond that, when clients or patients in this situation, in a medical setting, patients are given control of self-selected music, um, they're saying that it, it shows even better results than if it were um, experiment or selected music, for instance. So there's another important component to the use of music, and it's a principle that in music therapy we call client-preferred music or patient-preferred music, depending on your setting. Oftentimes, when our clients or patients are recovering from a medical event, a traumatic event, or struggling with daily life stressors, there is a stress response based on a lack of control. Control of the environment, of their body, of their emotions, of many different layers of things. Music therapy can give them some autonomy back in a lot of different ways. But to quote the article, locus of control is significantly correlated with recovery, health, and well-being. Given that even a trivial or illusory sense of choice enhances people's motivation, patient-selected music should generally be more effective than experimenter-selected music. So multiple studies here noted the positive results and reduction in pain perception and stress markers when patients were allowed to choose their own music for listening pre- and post-surgery. Relating this to our field specifically, we as music therapists work hard to learn and have a wide variety of repertoire available to our clients. I personally seek to empower my clients by being able to use their preferred music for wellness in our sessions and empower them to use their preferred music outside of our sessions. There is a more positive neurologic response, but also an important emotional component as well. This again is another reason why using a trained music therapist is an important addition to the wellness of clients and patients because we're able to completely customize their treatment, their sessions based on the music that they prefer to hear. And we're able to use that music to encourage wellness, autonomy, empowerment, and recovery. Let's move on to the third domain in the research review, and that's immunity. Quote, immune responses are broadly categorized as either innate or adaptive. The innate immune system represents the first line of defense against infection and includes cells and proteins that are non-specific to particular antigens such as natural killer cells or NK cells and phagocytes. The adaptive immune system provides a secondary antigen-specific response during which cells with a memory for specific pathogens are created, such as T-cells. 
This is something that has come up um, a lot in scientific and more mainstream literature lately, specifically in regards to the coronavirus vaccine. So one study in the article compared immune responses to group drumming participants versus participants who simply sat and read magazines while passively listening to recorded drumming sessions. The research found an increase in those natural killer cells along with an increased 5-DHA to cortisol ratio, which suggests enhanced immune functioning and a buffering of the stress response. DHA is an endogenous neurosteroid secreted by the adrenal gland and is a precursor to androgen production. The study here went on to say that group drumming participants also showed a decrease of gene expressions of stress-induced cell activity as well as counteracted age-related declines in immunity. To quote the article here, older adults displayed significant increases in total number of lymphocytes, including natural killer cells, T-cells, CD4 T-cells, memory T-cells, and production of interferon G and interleukin-6. Interleukin-6 is a cytokine with both pro- and anti-inflammatory properties. So relative to a pre-intervention baseline, these participants showed significant increases in cells, multiple different types of cells, um, that promote immunity and wellness. Group singing was also found to have positive effects on immune function with similar markers. The final domain in this article is one that we all value, whether we realize it or not, and that is social affiliation. So oxytocin is known as the love hormone because of its role in attachment and emotional bonding. Now, this could be the context of a mother and baby or a romantic relationship, but oxytocin plays an important role in socialization. Quote, it organizes social behavior in a manner highly dependent on the context and the traits of the individual. Oxytocin is not pro-social per se, but rather regulates stress and anxiety, affective motivational states, and or perceptual selectivity related to social information. End quote. Essentially, what this is saying is that oxytocin supports a lot of the um, underlying functions of socialization with processing perceptions of social information, so social cues, or um, affective motivational states. It helps express and process emotions that you see and perceive and express on yourself. And it regulates stress and anxiety within a social context. So these are all really important underlying factors that we might take for granted, but are crucial for building those social emotional bonds with others. Now, a second hormone is involved in social affiliation, and that is vasopressin, which is known to regulate social behavior. So oxytocin and vasopressin are actually known to be associated Um, which suggests a role for vasopressin-oxytocin interactions in moderating the effect of music on social bonding and affiliation. Because speech induces oxytocin levels, singing has also been shown to increase oxytocin in the brain. Group singing has been shown to aid in wellness based on all of the markers that we've discussed, giving value to community singing and group therapy interventions. In addition to all of those, the cells and the hormones that we talked about in the last section, but also including boosts in oxytocin and vasopressin. So this is where the article ends, and I want to take kind of a one-minute summary of all of the information that we've talked about. 
So we started with music plays a role in reward and motivation by activating reward centers in the brain as seen on fMRI and PET scans. Music reduces or increases stress and arousal based on the neuronal activity in the brainstem. This can be used to reduce stress hormone levels along the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which in turn affects body responses to stress such as heart rate, blood pressure, muscle tension, and perceived pain levels. Locus of control and social affiliation are positively enhanced by music increasing oxytocin and vasopressin levels and decreasing cortisol levels in the brain. Lastly, immunity is improved by increased NK cells and decreased gene expressions of stress-induced responses based on client-preferred music listening. Now, this was a lot of information to try to synthesize, and obviously the article is a lot more dense than what I presented to you today. But I hope that you enjoyed this kind of summary um, and learning about how amusing, amazing music is for our brains and for our bodies. Music therapy is such an incredible tool, and the research reflects that in so many cool ways. Music is such an incredible tool. So if you're looking to utilize music or music therapy for wellness, or to include music therapy in your organization and don't know where to start, reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond.com or musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com. You can find source material for this episode and all others at www.musictherapyandbeyond.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with all of our resources and announcements. And join us next week for October's clinical segment. I will be joined by Kristen, Maggie, and Elizabeth for some clinical inspiration that you won't want to miss. Thank you for the work that you do in all the places that you do it. Be well. And we'll see you next time.